All right, let's go ahead and let's get into the Word here. In the year 2000, I made an extended uh, ministry trip. Uh, We were ultimately going to Africa, but uh, we stopped in England for a few days to do some ministry there. And the real reason that I was going was because this was during the time that I was doing uh, media production and I was going to shoot a lot of footage to ultimately put together a promotional video for the, the ministry uh, of a friend of mine that I was going with. And we got to, to England and we were there on a Sunday morning and he had preached and, and he had called people down to, to do some ministry. And I was just there with my camera being faithful to do what I said I would do. And he came over to me and he said, put the camera down and go do some ministry. Now that put a little bit of fear into my heart because this was a time, uh, most of you know that Lisa and I went through a a very uh, hurtful time in ministry and we'd actually gotten out of church for a little while. And this was right in the middle of that time. So I hadn't been doing much ministry for almost about three years and now I'm being told to, to jump right into something. So I looked at the people that had come down for ministry and there were lots of of little white-haired ladies who I was absolutely convinced that they knew Jesus and they would know if I was making something up. So I didn't want to talk to them. But I looked down the line and I saw this guy. He, he, He actually looked like he was either in his early 20s or he might have even been a teenager. He had hair all the way down the middle of his back. He's wearing glasses. And he just looked really young. He had a a girl standing next to him that could have been his girlfriend, could have been his little sister. She looked really young too. But I looked over at him and I go, that's, that's, that's my target. That's my victim right there. So I walked over to him and I just said, uh, did you need prayer for something? He said, yeah, I'm really asking the Lord for some direction. So I just began a, a, a very simple prayer. But then, you know, God just kicked in. It was just one of those moments where it just went boom. And it just started coming out of me. And I, I started telling him, the Lord has put you in this place where you are right now. He has put you there for a specific purpose. And you are a prophet to a generation that will not walk into the church. So be faithful with who you are and be faithful with the things coming out of your mouth. Be bold, be bold, be bold. And as I begin to say these things, he just began to cry and tremble. And uh, his little sister, which wound up being his wife, she, she kind of started crying too. And he just kind of crumpled into my arms and I just kind of laid him down. And, I, you know, I kind of stepped away. And of course, on the inside, I'm thinking, <laughs> I still got it. But uh, uh, the pastor of the church came over and he said, what did you say to him? And I told him what I said. And he goes, wow. You don't realize, but that was God. He said, that guy is a software developer. He's worth millions. <laughs> okay. I thought he was a kid. You know, his mom must have dropped him off and left, but he's worth millions. He said he just sold his company to, to a larger software firm, and he's now working with a, a whole group of people that are non-believers, and he has been wondering if he needed to step up and speak out, but he didn't want to jeopardize his relationship or his job. And the Lord had just spoken to him and said, yes, I've put you there. I've put you there for this purpose. Now be who I've called you to be. 
So I tell that story because the Holy Spirit has a plan to use you wherever you are, even if you think you are unusable. At that time in my life, I thought that I was unusable, but the Lord said, I can use anybody, any willing vessel at any time if you'll just open your mouth. So there I was. I usually don't have problems opening my mouth, but we need to be aware of his voice, the voice of the Holy Spirit, his prompting, his leading. And at anywhere, at any time, and in any situation, the Holy Spirit can use us. You hear that? That was a great place to say amen. But the Holy Spirit, listen to me, the Holy Spirit's answer to other people's needs quite often is you. You are the answer to somebody's prayer. You are the answer to somebody's needs. But we have to be aware of what the Holy Spirit is saying, when he is saying move, and what to do. We are finishing our lesson series called We've Got Spirit. And over the last few weeks, we have been contrasting the ministry of the Holy Spirit with the, uh, the mindset that the enemy would try to give us. We've talked about the, the, the spirit of religion. We've talked about the spirit of racism. We've talked about an orphan spirit. And then last week, we talked about uh, a poverty spirit, how the Holy Spirit uh, contrast is totally against these things, and we wanted to see what the ministry of the Holy Spirit truly was. Now, this morning, we're going to finish up, and we're just going to, to talk about what I'm calling the Holy Spirit's game plan, the game plan to, to use us, to equip us, to guide us, all right? So let's go ahead and jump into these things. So when the Holy Spirit prepares us for kingdom purpose, he dwells in us, and he shows up on us. He dwells in us, and he shows up on us. Now, I know this is going to be an absolute kind of duh moment, but to have kingdom purpose, you have to first be a part of the kingdom, okay? You have to be a part of the kingdom. And the first and foremost job of the Holy Spirit is to convince unbelievers of their need for Jesus. That's what he does first. In John 6, we see it says that the Holy Spirit comes to convict those who do not believe. Now, you don't have to read the whole scripture, but uh, that's okay. They put it up there. The Holy Spirit has come to convict the world of sin because they do not believe. Now, the word convict and the word convince actually mean the exact same thing. We think sometimes, we think conviction, we think of, you know, a judge up there with a great big hammer going, you're guilty, bang, 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 you're guilty. But that's not what this word in the Greek means. It means to convince. The Holy Spirit is not here to tell you what a sorry sinner you are. The Holy Spirit is here to convince you of your need for Jesus. All right? So that's the first and foremost thing that the Holy Spirit has come to do. We have to be a part of the kingdom. And when someone is convinced of sin, they come into a place of repentance. The Holy Spirit comes to dwell inside of them, and that's what we call being born again. All right? 
So in, in John 3, we see a little thing where Nicodemus has come to Jesus and he starts asking him some questions. And I always love Jesus. Nicodemus is asking him about one thing, and Jesus doesn't even talk about it. Jesus just starts talking about something else. And he tells Nicodemus that uh, unless you're born again, you can't even see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus goes, what do you mean being born again? How, how, how can I be born a, a second time? Can a man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? He goes on to say, and Jesus said that you can't even step into the kingdom until you're born of God the Spirit. And when we are reborn, the Spirit comes to live inside of us. Romans 8 verse 9 says, the Spirit of God doesn't dwell in you. You don't belong to Him. Did you hear that? If the Spirit of God doesn't dwell in you, you don't belong to Him. Why am I pointing all this out? Because when the Holy Spirit comes to dwell inside of us at this place of salvation, He wants us to take another step. He wants us to come into a place where we are being controlled by Him. And this is just a little aside, but I, I need to go here so you'll understand really what I'm talking about. We as human beings, we are, we are made up of three parts. I guess you would call it that way. There's the eternal you which we generally call the, the spirit, the spirit of a man. And then there is the, the emotional you, your mind, your will, your emotions, which we generally call the soul. And then there's the physical you, which we call the body or the flesh. And Paul said that, that, that uh, we are to remain blameless spirit, soul, and body until the coming of Jesus. Okay? So, the Holy Spirit dwells in our spirit. When we come into a relationship with Jesus, when we are born again, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells inside of us. But there's another step. There's another place to go. The Holy Spirit can influence us from there. But when we are spirit baptized, we are giving God the permission to saturate our emotional self, our mind, our will, and our emotions in such a way that it directs our physical self. Did you hear that? In Acts 1 verse 5, this is Jesus speaking. He said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. It's also referred to as being filled with the Spirit, baptized with the Spirit, filled with the Spirit. What does it look like to be filled with the Spirit? Now, some people would say tongues. Praying in tongues, that means you're, you're filled with the Spirit. And that can be absolutely a sign that you're filled with the Spirit. But I think it goes a little bit deeper than that. The Holy Spirit doesn't want to fill you just so you can pray in another language. The Holy Spirit, uh, Jesus said that the Holy Spirit will come on us so we can be witnesses. That our lives would show that we belong to Jesus. You want to know what I think it looks like to be filled with the Spirit? We see it over in Galatians chapter 5. It says that when you're following the Spirit, you'll have love, you'll have joy, you'll have peace, you'll have patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You want to know somebody that's 
Walking in the Spirit, you want to see somebody that's been filled with the Spirit, you're going to see this in their life. You can be filled with the Spirit more than once. How about that? I do believe there's a moment where, where we come and, and we invite the Holy Spirit to, to consume us. But in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit fell on the disciples. And then in Acts chapter 4, the same folks, it says they were filled with the Spirit again. Why do we need to be filled with the Spirit more than once? Because as, as I've heard preachers say, we leak. We leak, so we need, the, we need more of the Holy Spirit. Fill me up again. Fill me up again. Fill me up again. The problem is when we're not being spilled out anywhere. And we're still wanting to be filled up. Fill me up, Jesus. Holy Spirit, come and fall on me. Well, remember, the Holy Spirit comes on us so we can be witnesses. So if we're not being witnesses, do we really need a new filling? Yeah, it's real quiet in here. Those people at home don't even believe that you're sitting here. I heard another preacher say it this way. We think of uh, the Holy Spirit filling us like we're a glass of water. He said, but think about it this way. Think of it like you're a sail on a ship, and the Holy Spirit comes and fills that sail and moves that ship where he needs us to be. So when we're filled with the Spirit, he's moving us, he's leading us, he's guiding us. So connecting with the Holy Spirit in this way is the preparation that we need for the next step. When the Holy Spirit leads us to kingdom purpose, he's a trustworthy guide. He's a trustworthy guide. A deeper connection with the Holy Spirit tunes our mind and our emotions into what he's doing. You could say it this way. It's sharpening our spiritual ears. It's sharpening our spiritual ears so we can hear God clearly. We need to hear God clearly. In Acts chapter 9, we've got a, a great example of hearing God very clearly. Acts 9, starting in verse 10. It says, now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, get up and go to the street called Straight and inquire in the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he has been praying. Now this is happening right after Paul, who at this time's name was Saul, had had his Damascus Road conversion, and he had gone into Damascus, and he was praying at this home. And God comes along, and this makes me very jealous. This does. I, hearing God this clearly. Now, I've heard God say, do this and do that, but I've never had God come along and say, Chris, go down to Broadway, and on Broadway, Go into this store, and in this store, you will meet a man named this. Pray for him. That makes me jealous. I want to hear God that clearly because obvious, that's the way he speaks to his disciples. I'm not making this up, right? I just read this out of the Bible. Okay. 
And we know that it bears fruit. Because even though Ananias said, I don't want to go pray for that guy. I've heard he's a rotten person. God said, no, go pray for him because I've chosen him. And he shows up and he goes, okay, Saul, God sent me to pray for you so your eyes will be healed and you can be filled with the Holy Spirit. Equipping Paul to go and be the apostle that we know that he was. And we know that he had this kind of relationship too because it goes on in Acts chapter 16. This is Paul with, with his uh, group out on the missionary journey. It says they passed through Phrygia and, and the Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Now, we think that Paul's whole purpose was to go out and speak, and it was, of course, but he's being led by the Holy Spirit. How many times do we open our mouth and God's going, mm-mm, mm-mm, shh, mm-mm. But we're just doing, nah. And here's Paul. His whole purpose is to go, to tell people about Jesus, and the Holy Spirit is saying, not here. Don't do it here. And it goes on to say they went through a couple of other cities. I won't try to uh, say their name. And that the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them to speak there either. Don't go here. But then it, then it says finally that in a vision, Paul had in the night that a man from Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Was this just for the Apostle Paul? Can only the Apostle Paul hear God this clearly? Or should those of us who have been filled with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God dwelling inside of us, and we're saying, consume us, consume us, Holy Spirit, so my mind, my will, and my emotions will connect with you. Should we hear God this clearly? Now, I don't always hear a word. There's times when it's just an impression. You need to do this. You just feel compelled to do this, to go somewhere. Uh, you know, there's been times when I've come up to, to uh, uh, an intersection, and I, I usually go right, and, and I just know that the Lord is impressing me to go left. Go left. Why? I don't know. And there's been times I've done it, and nothing was down there. But I don't know what was down here either. But I would rather be faithful to do what I feel like the Lord is impressing me to do. And then there's times where I do. I hear words. And God speaks. But I want it more clear. I want to be more filled with the Spirit of God. I want a deeper relationship with the Holy Spirit. In 1966, a 22-year-old lady, young lady, named Jackie Pullinger, knew that she was called to missions. And being a, a single young lady who had not been uh, prepared in school for, for this type of mission, none of the mission organizations would sponsor her. They wouldn't, no, you can't go. We're not going to help you do this. And she, she was very discouraged, but she went and she began to, to, to have some conversations with a pastor. And this pastor gave her some very interesting advice. He said, buy a ticket on a ship as far away from here as possible. 
And every time this ship comes into port somewhere, you ask the Lord, is this where I'm going? Is this where I'm going? Is this where I'm going? So she did it. She thought she was called to Africa. She was English. She got on the ship in England. And as that ship is just going around Africa, not it, not it, not it, not it. Then she came to Hong Kong. And the Lord goes, right here. Right here. And she got off that ship in Hong Kong not knowing anybody with about 10 bucks in her pocket. And the Lord said, I want you to go into the walled city part of Hong Kong. Now, this is the part of Hong Kong where all of the gangs are, all of the drug dealers are, all of the prostitutes are. It is so rough that even the police don't go in there. You better know that you have heard from God. But this 22-year-old girl was being led by the Spirit of God. Get off in Hong Kong, go in here. And she began to minister. She began to minister to, to the gang members. She began to minister to the drug addicts, the prostitutes, and the homeless. That was in 1966, and she's still there today. And over the years, she's uh, set up uh, um, youth centers and, and drug rehab places and homeless shelters. She's helped women get out of prostitution and get jobs. In fact, she has done so much in her community that the University of Hong Kong gave her an honorary doctorate for her work. Now, none of that would have happened if she couldn't hear the voice of God, if she couldn't follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. And we need a deep connection with the Holy Spirit, one that baptizes us in his presence, one that sharpens our spiritual ears to hear the kingdom leading that he has for us. And when we've connected with the Holy Spirit and he begins to lead us and guide us, he gives us abilities for our calling because he's a gift giver. Most people want to start here. Uh, there was a, a, a Christian song in the, in the 80s that talked about babies with power tools. And it was really about, about ministers who didn't have the, the character in them to, to use these powerful gifts of God. Because people want to start with the gifts when the Holy Spirit wants to start with relationship. The Holy Spirit wants to start with character. The Holy Spirit wants to train us to hear his voice as we step into a place of ministry. And I believe there's three levels of, of gifting, or we're going to talk about three levels of gifting here this morning. And before I even say any of this, if you are in a relationship with Jesus Christ, you are called to ministry. Each and every one of you is called to ministry, all right? So the first level is what I call the spiritual calling, and we see it in Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 11. It says, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church the apostles, the prophets, 
the evangelists and the pastors and the teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue. Say, this will continue. This will continue until we all come into such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. I'm not going to take a poll, but I'm just going to give you the answer. We are not always in unity. We are not always mature. We do not always uh, meet up to the standard of Christ. Therefore, the ministry of the apostle, the prophet, the pastor, the evangelist, and the teacher are still in operation. Now, there are people that don't believe that there are apostles and prophets, and they barely give the evangelist a, a nod. And the Lord spoke to me one time, uh, just in a time of study, and he goes, release the apes. And I went, what? Release the apes, the apostle, the prophet, and the evangelist. We do good with the pastors. We can tolerate the teachers. But we're not going to come into a place of maturity until we are engaging with the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Now, let me shock you a little bit more. Each and every one of you that are in a relationship with Jesus, you are an apostle, you are a prophet, you are a pastor, you are an evangelist, or you are a teacher. See, we think that's just the, the people that stand on stage. Oh, those are the important people. No, that is a picture of Jesus. That is the ministry of Jesus. He was our apostle. He was a prophet. He was an evangelist. He was a pastor, and he was a teacher. And when we come into a relationship with Jesus, he plants inside of us a ministry calling that shows one of these areas, one of these places of calling. It's in you. Now, it does not mean that you're called to stand on the stage. That doesn't mean that you have to get up here and, and, and be as suave and debonair as I am. Now, see, that's the biggest laugh I got all day. <laughs> but you know what? In your daily living, you will show forth one of these. And the more that we are consumed with the Holy Spirit, the more we're able to step in to who we've been called to be. Not everyone's even called to be a leader in these areas, but you don't have to be a leader. You just need to be who the Holy Spirit is calling you to be. Now, let me run through these real quickly. I'm going to give you a one-sentence explanation. This is the way that the Lord explained all of these callings to me. The apostle, he is the guardian of God's purpose because God's purpose is to build his church. The prophet is the guardian of God's plans to proclaim and to confirm what God is doing. The evangelist is the guardian of God's heart, God's greatest desire, and God's heart is to save the lost. 
The pastor is the guardian of God's nature because his nature is the good shepherd who always cares for the sheep. And the teacher is the guardian of God's word to impart revelation and inspiration with practical application. And once again, it does not have to be done from a platform. My wife has a teaching gift. She is teaching all the time. She is teaching all the time. Even though I am 52 years old, she is teaching all the time. She is always telling me how to do things and how to, <laughs> to do it right. You know why? Because I need that. But she has a teaching gift, and it comes out. She ha also has a, a prophetic gifting. Most people that are, that are called into a prophetic gifting, you, you'll see it come out of them because they, they'll, they'll come into a place of, of being an intercessor. They'll connect with what God is saying, and they'll begin to pray about it. But she can get a little weird with hers. I know you don't believe this, but there was a time before cell phones. And we were married before these times of cell phones, before everybody had a cell phone, that is. And I would go to, to a store with a friend of mine. And this happened more than once. I am standing in a store with a friend of mine. And up over the intercom would come, would customer Chris Bauer please come to the service center? You have a phone call. And my friend would look at me and he goes, you need to tell your wife to stop that because she is abusing her prophetic gifting. It's going to come out. <laughs> All right, let's move on. The next is what I call the grace giftings. They're in Romans chapter 12. In, in Romans 12, verse 6, it says, In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. Inside of the five callings, the Spirit of God graces us with gifts. And I'm going to run through them and give just a quick uh, explanation for each one. The first one is prophecy, to foretell and to foretell. The second is serving. These are really the gifts of, of helps. There are people who are absolutely at their best and most satisfied when they are helping behind the scenes, when they're doing things for other people. They have absolutely no desire to be up here on the stage. It would terrify them to do it, but they get so much satisfaction, so much satisfaction from being in the booth back there, and they're all waving at me. Teaching. That can be one-on-one -on -one or it can be congregational. Exhortation, encouraging, comfort, counselor. The word uh, exhortation there in, in the Greek is paraklesis. In John 16, when Jesus said, when I leave the Holy Spirit, the comforter will come, that word is paraclete. So when we are being a comfort to others, we are fulfilling the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Generosity, the ability to give beyond your ability. That is a gift from God. There are some people, I watch them just pour finances into the kingdom, and you're like, where do they get all this money? But God just pours it back into them because he knows that's their gifting. They're not holding it. They're not trying to buy big houses, new houses, new cars. Not that there's anything wrong with those things. But first and foremost, they're thinking about where can I give it? Where can I give it? Leadership to lead and to guide. And then there's mercy. Mercy, which is compassion. 
We've got a, a spiritual gifts assessment test that people take when they go through our membership class, and it is based on Romans chapter 12. Because each of these show the character of Jesus. And just like the apostle, the prophet, the pastor, the evangelist, and the teacher, we need all of these in the church as well. All right, last but not least is the gifts of the Spirit. We see those in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And in verse 1, it says, Now, dear brothers and sisters, regarding your question about these special abilities the Spirit gives us, I don't want you to misunderstand this. Other translations say, I don't want you to be ignorant. But let's be honest. We have been ignorant and we have misunderstood some of these things. Down in verse 7, it says, But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. That word manifestation there, the Greek word is phanerosis. And I've, I've heard uh, uh, teachers describe this as the dancing hand of God. The dancing hand of God. When God needs something, his hand comes on you. He anoints you. In verse 11, it says, but one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing them to each one individually as he wills. When it's needed, the spirit empowers. When it's needed, the spirit empowers. Kind of like what we were talking about, that, that sail. The Holy Spirit fills that sail and moves us right where he needs us to do right what he needs us to do. So let's run through these real quickly. Word of wisdom. That's a supernatural wisdom as opposed to experiential wisdom. I can tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt, you should never stick your tongue in an electrical socket. I have experience. Okay? That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about a, a, a wisdom that comes that can only come from God. There's been times that I've been sitting with people or been in a counseling session, and they're talking about the things that they are going through, and I don't know how to fix it for them. They don't know how to fix it for them, but then just wisdom comes out, and they look at me dumbfounded because they know that I'm not that smart. Just wisdom and they'll go, I never thought about it that way. I never thought about it. It's a, it's, it's a word from God that sets things free. Then there's the word of knowledge. It's addressing something that you've had no prior knowledge of. That's what I was operating in when I was in England. When I began to, to, to pray over that young man, I had no clue what he was going through, but God knew. And that word of knowledge came out of me to tell him, this is what God says. Then there's faith, and this is needed for situations that's beyond our personal faith. There are times when, when God will just ask us to believe for something, something big. It's beyond what, what we even think that we could believe for. There's healings. There's miracles. I think those are self-explanatory. There's prophecy once again, supernatural foreknowledge. There's discerning of spirits, knowing the difference between what God is doing and what the enemy is doing. And you would think that would be easy to pick out, but it's not always. 
The Bible says that, that the enemy comes like a, an angel of light. There are things that are, that are taught, that are spoken. There is scripture that is taken out of context and preached. And it takes the discerning of spirits, the distinguishing of spirits to know what God is saying and how the enemy is trying to confuse. And then there is a various kinds of tongues and interpretation of tongues for, for public messages. When somebody gives a, a, a message in tongues, it needs to be interpreted, okay? So when these manifest, manifestations are needed, the Holy Spirit can use any willing vessel, any willing vessel. So are we willing? In the year 2000, after we left England, we went on to Africa, and uh, the Holy Spirit used me in my calling as a pastor to minister to just lots of people. He guided me to the right people at the right time, and I had words of wisdom and words of knowledge. I got to stand before a group of about 200 pastors and prophesy over them. The Lord used me in, in, in healing. There was a, uh, we, we had a big healing night. And I, once again, I put my camera down. Because the Lord said, put your camera down. And I went and I began to pray for people. And there was somebody that I prayed for that night. And everybody in the line, they all had fevers. That's what they would say. You know, what are we praying for? Fever, fever, fever. But in, in where we were, a, a fever, you know, that wasn't just like, oh, I need to go take, uh, you know, some Tylenol or something. It, it could kill you. And I prayed for this man. And a couple days later, I saw him when we, when we were in another village. He had followed us. And through an interpreter, he came up to me. And he, he wanted to thank me for praying for him because God had healed him. And then he reached over and he took my hand. And he didn't just kind of take my hand. He interlocked his fingers like we were going to the prom holding hands. Because in his culture, the highest form of honor was holding hands. So when you saw somebody holding hands, they were saying, I honor this person. I honor this person. Let's have interlocked hands with the Holy Spirit. Let's honor the Holy Spirit. Let's honor the gifts that he has placed inside of you. The calling that he has placed inside of you. Because you were created for the supernatural. As I've heard it said, we should be supernaturally. It's part of our spiritual DNA. Connecting with the Holy Spirit does not make you weird. Those that are weird were probably weird before they got a hold of the Holy Spirit, okay? And he'll not make you do anything more than we allow him to do in our lives. So let's allow him to consume us, to fill us, to baptize us, so we can be more aware of how he operates and we can be more useful for the kingdom. And this is a part of the mission and ministry of NCC to help you understand your calling, to be equipped in your gifting and given opportunities 
to operate. As we institute uh, the discipleship model that we're working on, you're going to see how someone can go from a young believer or a new believer to a place where they're walking in kingdom destiny. Because that's what we've been called to do. We've been called to help you do the work of ministry. And just say, Lord, I want you. Holy Spirit, I need you. I need to be more consumed with you. I want you to baptize me. I want you to fill me. I want you to overflow out of me. I want to be aware of the calling that you have in my life. And I want to operate in the gifts that you have for me as you lead me and you guide me. So Holy Spirit, we give you us. We give you us. We're going to stop being held back by fear. We give you us. We're going to stop thinking, well, that's for somebody else to do. No, it's for us. Lord, there are people that need to know you. That's for us. Lord, there are people that, that need words of encouragement. That's for us. There are people that, that need mercy and compassion. That's for us. Lord, we want to be your willing vessel. We want to be your hands, your feet, your mouth. So consume us, Lord, and do with us whatever it is that you want to do with us. We give you everything in Jesus' name.